shoulders. His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield, keeping you from harm. You will never worry about an attack of demonic forces at night, nor have to fear a spirit of darkness coming against you. Don't fear a thing. Whether by day or by night, demonic danger will not trouble you, nor will the powers of evil be launched against you. Even in a time of disaster with thousands and thousands being killed, you will remain unscathed and unharmed. You will be a spectator as the wicked perish in judgment, for they will be paid back for what they have done. When we live our lives within the shadow of God Most High, our secret hiding place, we will always be shielded from harm. How then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us? God sends angels with special orders to protect you wherever you go, defending you from all harm. If you walk into a trap, they'll be there for you and keep you from stumbling. You'll even walk unharmed among the fiercest powers of darkness, trampling every one of them beneath your feet. For here is what the Lord has spoken to me. Because you loved me, delighted in me, and have been loyal to my name, I will greatly protect you. I will answer your cry for help every time you pray, and you will feel my presence in your time of trouble. I will deliver you and bring you honor. I will satisfy you with a full life and with all that I do for you, for you will enjoy the fullness of my salvation. When you abide under the shadow of Shaddai, you are hidden in the strength of God Most High. He's the hope that holds me in the stronghold to shelter me, the only God for me and my great confidence. He will rescue you from every hidden trap of the enemy. He will protect you from false accusation and any deadly curse. His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield, keeping you from harm. You will never worry about an attack of demonic forces at night, nor have to fear a spirit of darkness coming against you. Don't fear a thing. Whether by day or by night, demonic danger will not trouble you, nor will the powers of evil be launched against you. Even in a time of disaster with thousands and thousands being killed, you will remain unscathed and unharmed. You will be a spectator as the wicked perish in judgment, for they will be paid back for what they have done. When we live our lives within the shadow of God Most High, our secret hiding place, we will always be shielded from harm. How then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us? God sends angels with special orders to protect you wherever you go, defending you from all harm. If you walk into a trap, they'll be there for you and keep you from stumbling. You'll even walk unharmed among the fiercest powers of darkness, trampling every one of them beneath your feet. For here is what the Lord has spoken to me. Because you loved me, delighted in me, and have been loyal to my name, I will greatly protect you. I will answer your cry for help every time you pray, and you will feel my presence in your time of trouble. I will deliver you and bring you honor. I will satisfy you with a full life and with all that I do for you, for you will enjoy the fullness of my salvation. When you abide under the shadow of Shaddai, you are hidden in the strength of God Most High. He's the hope that holds me in the stronghold to shelter me, the only God for me and my great confidence. He will rescue you from every hidden trap of the enemy. He will protect you from false accusation and any deadly curse. 
His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield, keeping you from harm. You will never worry about an attack of demonic forces at night, nor have to fear a spirit of darkness coming against you. Don't fear a thing. Whether by day or by night, demonic danger will not trouble you, nor will the powers of evil be launched against you. Even in a time of disaster with thousands and thousands being killed, you will remain unscathed and unharmed. You will be a spectator as the wicked perish in judgment, for they will be paid back for what they have done. When we live our lives within the shadow of God Most High, our secret hiding place, we will always be shielded from harm. How then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us? God sends angels with special orders to protect you wherever you go, defending you from all harm. If you walk into a trap, they'll be there for you and keep you from stumbling. You'll even walk unharmed among the fiercest powers of darkness, trampling every one of them beneath your feet. For here is what the Lord has spoken to me. Because you loved me, delighted in me, and have been loyal to my name, I will greatly protect you. I will answer your cry for help every time you pray, and you will feel my presence in your time of trouble. I will deliver you and bring you honor. I will satisfy you with a full life and with all that I do for you, for you will enjoy the fullness of my salvation. When you abide under the shadow of Shaddai, you are hidden in the strength of God Most High. He's the hope that holds me and the stronghold to shelter me, the only God for me and my great confidence. He will rescue you from every hidden trap of the enemy. He will protect you from false accusation and any deadly curse. His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield, keeping you from harm. You will never worry about an attack of demonic forces at night, nor have to fear a spirit of darkness coming against you. Don't fear a thing. Whether by day or by night, demonic danger will not trouble you, nor will the powers of evil be launched against you. Even in a time of disaster with thousands and thousands being killed, you will remain unscathed and unharmed. You will be a spectator as the wicked perish in judgment, for they will be paid back for what they have done. When we live our lives within the shadow of God Most High, our secret hiding place, we will always be shielded from harm. How then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us? God sends angels with special orders to protect you. Well, good morning, everyone. So glad that you're here this morning at Victory Christian Fellowship. We're glad to have you, and if you're watching online, we say welcome to you. It's a good day, amen, to be here. And in the Lord, Father, we just give you thanks and praise. Thank you for your mighty hand that's upon us, your presence that's here with us. And Lord, we give you the highest praise. We honor you and bless you and praise you in all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Let's stand up.
what he's done for you. Oh, we worship you, Lord. Let's live to worship him. Hallelujah. Oh, we thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless your holy and wonderful name. We give you glory and honor and praise. Lord Jesus, your name is the highest name. There's not a name higher. There's not a name greater. There's not a name more powerful. There's not a name that can deliver like you can. There's not a name that can touch like you can. There's not a name that can heal like you can. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, we worship you. We bless your holy name. We give you thanks and praise and glory. Hallelujah. Lord, you are welcome here. We so appreciate your presence, your very real personal presence to us. And we thank you, Lord, that you're here and you speak to us. I give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I want you to succeed in life. I want you to have the victory in life. And I turn things around for you because I love you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Before you sit down, is there anybody in here you need something in your life to turn around? Something in your body to turn around? A situation that you need to change? I just want you to lift up your hand. All right? I see that. See those hands? All right? Hallelujah. If you're close to some of those people with those hands that are laid, just reach out and touch them right now. In the name of Jesus, Father, we give you thanks and praise for the anointing of God which destroys yokes and removes burdens in the name of Jesus. Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, and may these things be turned around right now for your glory and for your honor. In the name of Jesus, we release the power from on high, the power of the Holy Spirit that's working and moving right now in these situations, in these people, in their lives, in the name of Jesus, I declare it done today. I declare it done today. It is turned around from this moment forth. No matter how hard it is or how big it seems, God can turn it around. God can change it. Hallelujah. That's what he does. And Lord, we just put our faith in you. 
we trust you knowing that you are working. Glory be to God forevermore. And everyone said, Amen, Amen. Hallelujah. Well, you may have your seats. Pastor Nelson's going to come and lead us in communion. Hallelujah. It's communion day today. And we're glad that you're here. Praise the Lord. How many uh, veterans are here? All right, if you're a veteran, they've got two. Any other veterans? All right, well, we have a special gift for our veterans today because Veterans Day was Friday. So we'll tell you more about Here's Pastor Nelson. Let's get ready to have communion. Good morning, family. Yeah, we serve an awesome God, don't we? Yes. Say, with Jesus, we can do all things. Amen. So I'm asking you to go back in the back here and get your, uh, your elements here, your, your bread and your, your drink. And it's talking about the communion, you know, how important it is. So it is a holy time, a fellowship with God. The disciples talked about it. The Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talked about this event, that Jesus is the final perfect Passover lamb. And he fulfilled the requirements that was set forth in Exodus 12. That he was a male unblemished by sin. He was willing to die in our place. Thank God for that. And so we accept the perfect you know, sacrifice of Jesus in our life. His blood causes the death angel to pass over us. Amen. And then the Lord said, so when we become part of, of me, he's, I'll, he's, he's, I'll live in your hearts. He's my house, be your house. And you can feast at my table. And I'll be the father's, and I'll adopt Adopt you into my family, my sons and daughters. And he said, you'll reign with me for eternity. And this is the free gift to you to show that I love you. And the Lord's going to John 6.35. He says, I am the bread of life. And Jesus told them, no one comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who, who believes in me will ever thirst again. In Ephesians 5.1 says, is therefore be imitators of God, copy him and follow his example, as well beloved children imitate their father. So in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 25, let the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat for this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, take and eat. And after the same manner, also he took the cup when he, and he supped from it, saying, This is the cup, this is the New Testament, this is my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, remember to me, take and drink. Father, we thank you, for you are the master. 
And we thank you for your great plan that you have for us so we can be with you eternity, Father. We thank you for sending your son, and he willingly did it. And we thank you, Jesus, for touching us from our head to our toes, from fingertip to fingertip. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, and we praise you. Amen. Hallelujah. I like that. Head to toe, fingertip to fingertip. God's got you covered, doesn't he? How many are glad that you are able to enter into rest? God created rest. And rest can occur wherever he is. Because he told his disciples, he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And uh, so we're going to make our confession today. And it's based on, you know, this on having rest in God. And uh, these are all scriptures that we're saying. And uh, so let's make our confession in faith. Think about what you're saying and uh, believe every word because it's true. All right, let's make our confession. Jesus is our Lord and Master, and we are always learning about him, his ways, and his kingdom. We will willingly and faithfully come to Jesus to find rest for our souls. The Lord's yoke is easy and his burden is light. We do his will because it is our delight. His gentleness and humility give us great peace and security. We choose to dwell in the shelter of the Most High, and we remain secure and at rest in the Almighty's shadow. He alone is our refuge, our fortress, our God in whom we trust. The Lord has rescued our life from death. He bountifully blesses us and is always good to us. Therefore, we rest in him. Because God's peace is with us and in us, we do not worry and we cast all our cares on him. We are confident in Christ and enter into his divine rest by faith. The Lord freely offers his rest to all of us and we receive it because we believe it. God's rest refreshes our souls. We are God's people, and there remains a Sabbath rest for us today. At Victory, our vision is to reach out beyond our walls with the message of salvation, hope, and inheritance. To build a word of God, to build a strong body of believers, and to encourage relationships in a loving atmosphere. We activate God's word to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. At Victory Christian Fellowship, we are inheriting God's promises and experiencing their benefits. Amen. Good morning. God bless each one of you. And Jesus loves you. Always tell yourself every day, Jesus loves me. And, of course, then you tell Jesus that you love him. We don't want to, like, let that slip past us. His love is amazing. Today, we are celebrating Pastor Appreciation Month. And we are remembering that Dr. Fiona, Melissa, and Lisa are in Guyana at Blessed Children Home. And... Tuesday, 
is this generation in the afternoon from 125 to 225. It's our middle school outreach into our community. If you'd like to participate, you can see me. There's cards that you can take if you know anybody that has um, a middle schooler or um, would be interested. We have a QR code that can be scanned for more information. Tuesday evening is Air Force. That's from 6 to 8 p.m. And yesterday we did breakfast over the campfire. It was probably the sunniest, warmest Saturday morning in November we ever had, but we devoured a gigantic pack of hot dogs. <laughs> I, I was surprised at how quickly they went, but marshmallows, hot chocolate, we did the traditional. So we, we are looking forward to having another one, and we burned all the wood. We thought that was like a huge pile of wood, but it was gone. Yeah, it was. It was a good time. We had a nice fellowship around the fire. There's just a different atmosphere. And we uh, fellowship, prayer, strategy for how to reach our coworkers and fellow students in the schools. So it was a good time. Wednesday night refreshing is at 630. So we'd love to see you Wednesday night. Thursday afternoon is Bible Adventure for third, fourth, and fifth graders in Northside and Forge. Schools, if you're interested in helping, you can see Miss Chris Frenchek. And if you know any students in Northside and Forge Elementary in third, fourth, and fifth, let them know about Bible Adventure. That happens here between 12 and 3, I think, somewhere around that. And then Friday is woven. Yay! I'm excited for woven. <laughs> Ladies, plan to be here 6 to 8 p.m. We're continuing the series of the coaching series that Dr. Fiona is doing with us. So you want to be here this Friday or um, check online. I think that comes through. Just check online. Sometimes it goes through the church. Sometimes it goes through Dr. Fiona's feed. It just depends on how the system works that that evening. And then please note that Wednesday, November 23rd, there will not be a service here. There will be no Wednesday night refreshing. That's the evening before Thanksgiving. So God bless each one. Pastor Nadine, hallelujah. I go pick up the ladies Tomorrow at 3.30 in the morning. So Josiah and I are going to JFK. And uh, their flight is coming in at uh, 6.30 a.m. So praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So I want, to, I want our veterans to stand again. Those of you that are here. If you're a veteran, if you've served in the military... Hallelujah. We're so grateful for your service. Amen. Hallelujah. So keep standing, guys. I'm gonna, we're going to pray for you. 
And uh, after the service, you can stop by the youth table and you can get your free, you can get your gift, okay? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful and thankful uh, for these men who have uh, served this country in the military and the armed forces, Lord. And we just honor them, Lord. I pray that your blessings would abound to them, that you would strengthen them, Lord. And we give you thanks and praise for the good work that you're doing in them, through them, and to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. If it wasn't for them, this country wouldn't be as free as it is. And uh, we need to pray for our country. Amen. You know, this is a time for the church to shine. And all God wants us to do is be the church. Amen. Well, we're excited about our kids that are here today. And kids, life, that stands for kids living in faith every day. That's what it stands for. So kids and teachers, we want to dismiss you. Have a good time in your class. Praise the Lord. Well, as I was uh, seeking the Lord about what he wanted me to share, this popped into my uh, heart, and I'm simply calling it what God expects of you. Did you know that God expects some things of you? And uh, we're going to talk about it. I'm probably going to continue this into next week. Because I have 26 pages of notes now. <laughs> God expects a lot of us. Amen. Don't worry, I'm not going to give you all 26 today. Hallelujah. But you know, um, God created every one of us with an amazing plan in mind. And uh, he has high standards. And he doesn't lower his standards for anyone. He keeps his standards high. Why? Because he is holy. He is uncompromising. And um, so he's got plans for us. You know, and the first thing that God expects of us is to know Jesus as Lord. Amen? And he wants, he, he wants everybody to be saved, although everybody doesn't get saved because he's given us our choice and our ability to choose. And, um, but God also wants us to grow in the knowledge of him. He wants us to experience his fullness and his power. And uh, he wants us to apply his principles to our life. I mean, God wrote a book, right? It's a pretty big book. 66 uh, books, right? And, uh, you know, isn't it, isn't it awesome how God left us a book so that we can refer to, you know? And the Bible contains everything that you need in life, every challenge that you will face, every problem that you will uh, go through, it's, it has the answers, all right? And uh, I want you to go to the book of Micah, chapter 6, Micah, chapter 6, hallelujah, and I'm going to read this uh, from the Amplified, and um, it says... Uh, Micah 6, verse 8. Micah 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Everybody say, to do justly, to love mercy. 
and to walk humbly with God. You know, if God didn't have any, if God didn't have any expectations of us, he wouldn't have made any plans for us. But he made plans to prosper us, right? He told the prophet Jeremiah, I've made plans to prosper you, not to harm you. God's plans will not harm you. They will help you. Amen? So if he didn't have any expectations for us, he wouldn't make any plans. I want you to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we're going to start with verse 17. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth, that means hereafter, walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of your mind. Does God want us to live different? Does God want us to be different? All right, he's telling us this. All right, having the understanding darkened. Gentiles, who a Gentile is not just someone who's not Jewish, it's someone who hasn't accepted the Lord as Savior, right? They're operating, their understanding has been darkened. Right? Being alienated from the life of God. A person who is not born again is not a child of God. They are alienated from the life of God. Not everybody is God's child. Jesus told a group of Pharisees in the Gospel of John, he said, you are of your father the devil. Right? Okay? Then... So they're alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. If you don't know Jesus, you're ignorant, (laughs) right? Because of the blindness of their heart. Now, these are talking, he's talking about Gentiles. He's telling us not to walk like we used to walk, not to live like we used to live. We can be different. God wants us to be different. He doesn't want you to be the way you used to be before you knew him. All right? He wants you to embrace the better you. All right? Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness. (laughs) That means anything goes. (laughs) To work all uncleanness with greediness. But, look at verse 20, you have not so learned Christ. When you come into the kingdom of God, God expects a different lifestyle out of you. He expects a different way of doing things, a different MO, mode of operandi, right? Mode of operation. You have not so learned Christ. Verse 21, if so be that you have heard him. How many has heard him? You've heard the good news, right? And you made a decision about that good news. Uh, and have been taught by him. God expects us to hear him and to be taught by him. Amen? God is into teaching. He's a teacher. Jesus was the greatest teacher of all time. All right? As the truth is in Jesus. The truth is not in anything else. It's in Jesus. Right? 
If you want to know the truth about something, look to Jesus. All right, verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, conversation, the lifestyle. Everybody say, put off. It's time to change your clothes. Right? Do we keep wearing clothes that are dirty? No, I mean, hope not. If you don't have anything else, I mean, but what, what do we do? How, how hard is it to change clothes? Oh, my goodness, i got to change my clothes again today. It's not a hard thing. Guess what? It's not hard to change your clothes. He's telling us to put off our old ways. Old way of thinking, old way of doing, old way of speaking. Why? Because he expects some things of us. Okay? And so he tells us to put off something, but then he tells us to put on something. Right? God doesn't want you naked. Amen? Amen? And quite frankly, I'm glad you got clothes on. Amen. (laughs) So the old man is corrupt according to deceitful lust. Verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man. Woo, you guys are looking new today. Did you know once you put on the new man, you don't have to take it off. It's a lifestyle. It's how you live every day. All right. Which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You can put on righteousness. You know, the Bible tells us to put on Christ. We can wear Christ. Amen? And so these are some things that God expects of us. Number one, God wants more for you. All right? I have about 14 expectations. But we're not going to go over 14 today. Amen? Say, God wants more of me. Go to John 15 for just a second. John 15. I want you to see something here. Gospel of John. And, uh, hallelujah. Look at verse 8, John 15, verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear a little bit of fruit. No, it didn't say a little bit. That you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. As the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things have I spoken to you. Um, and uh, so let's see. Um, he, said, he said in here that if you, if, when you bear fruit, he'll prune you so that you can bear more fruit. God is always interested in more. Amen? Say, I can do more. Say, God expects more of me. All right, go to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We're talking about what God expects. Amen? Hallelujah. And we're going to look at verse 11. Titus 2 and 11. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Who appeared to all men? Jesus, right? 
That's the grace of God that brings salvation. Jesus brought salvation to the earth. He's named Savior. When he was born, it says he will save his people from their sins. Glory to God. Okay? And verse 12, teaching us. All right? So Jesus came to take us out of sin, but now we have to learn how to live sin-free. Right? Because we were dominated by sin, we were captive by sin, we were captured by sin, and we were its prisoner. Until we met Jesus, then the prison doors were open for us, and we were able to walk free. We had a full pardon from God, full forgiveness, hallelujah, complete restoration. So now we got to live like he wants us to live, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Say this present world. Right now, as evil as the world is, we can live soberly, righteously, and godly in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation. That's how God wants us to live. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope. What's the blessed hope? That's Jesus returning again. He's coming back. Amen. He's coming back. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Say he gave himself for me. Since he gave himself for us, he wants us to live like him. Amen? He gave himself for us so that we could live like him. He made it possible. That he might redeem us from some iniquity. How much iniquity are we redeemed from? All. Sam redeemed from all iniquity. That's good news. That means lawlessness. And purify himself of peculiar people. Peculiar doesn't mean strange. It means uh, ownership. It means special. Say, I'm special. Look at your neighbor and say, you're special. Right? A people zealous for good works. Guess what? God expects us to be zealous for good works. What's a good work? Anything that God's involved in. We don't get to define what a good work is. He defines what a good work is. Jesus came to work, right? He, he said his works that he does testify who he is. Those are good works. Healing is a good work. Salvation is a good work. Hallelujah. So this is things that God wants from us. All right? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And look at verses 14 and 15. Look at verse 14. But continue in the things which you have learned. Well, if, you, if you're going to continue in what you learned, you've got to learn some things. You can't continue in what you didn't learn. I don't know about you, but when I entered the kingdom of God, I didn't know how the kingdom operated. I didn't know how to function as a believer. I was never a believer before I believed. Does that that make sense? But there came a point in time in my life when I believed the good news. All right? And I accepted it. 
right? Now that I've accepted the good news, I've got to live like the good news. My life has to be an open book. It's a good news open book, right? You, you should not be afraid to put the good news on display in our attitude, in the way we treat people, and uh, in the things that we do. Why? Because God expects some things of us. Okay? And uh, he says, continue in the things which you have learned and has been assured of. That's, that's faith. Faith is assurance. Faith is confidence. How many are confident of some things? You've got to walk in your confidence. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews, don't cast away your confidence because it has great recompense of reward. All right? So, uh, knowing of whom you have learned them, right? If, you, if, you're, if you're learning the truth from a good source, from a person that loves God, you know, you, you can be confident in that. Amen? And, and don't just take what I say for it. I mean, look it up. I'll give you plenty of scriptures that you can refer to. And look at verse 15. He's talking about Timothy now. And that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. Children need to know the Holy Scriptures. Timothy was a child who learned the Holy Scriptures. Who taught him? His mama and his grandmama. Thank God for the grandmama and mama who taught their kid. The Scriptures. He learned... He has known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So Timothy had an understanding of salvation. Why? Because he learned the Scriptures. Do you think Timothy memorized some Scriptures? I bet he did. Do you think his mama and his grandmother made him read Scriptures? I bet he did. You know, they didn't have a Bible like we have. Right? There wasn't much copies, but they had scrolls at different things. And his father was a Greek. His father wasn't involved. Uh, the Bible doesn't say in his teaching, but thank God for the godly grandmother and the godly mother. Amen. They made a difference in this young boy. He became a protege of Paul. He became pastor of the church of Ephesus. He traveled as a missionary with Paul. He saw the move of God. Amen. And it started for him knowing the scriptures. And then living those out. Hallelujah. Go to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at, we're going to look at verses 1 to 3. Get ready to throw out the trash. Peter tells us in verse 1 of chapter 2, he said, Wherefore, laying aside all malice, evil intentions. Lay aside. That means put it away. Put it out with the trash. Okay? God doesn't expect you to carry malice as a believer. He expects you to get rid of it. Okay? And guile or deceit, or hypocrisy. You know, he, Jesus uh, came across Nathaniel, and he said, there's an Israelite in whom there is no guile. There's no deceit. There's no, listen, we got a lot of deceit in America. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things that are being said that aren't even true. 
And if you're not in tune with the truth, you could be deceived. But not us. Why? Because we're in tune with the truth. All right? So you've got to give up malice, guile, and hypocrisies. Stop play acting and start being real. Take off your mask and be real. Amen? And envies. Uh-oh, you've got to get rid of envy. Wanting something that someone else has. Right? And evil speakings. Uh-oh. Negative talk. Our speech, the words that we say, is so important. As a believer in Christ Jesus, you can't just go around talking negative and expect you to be a person of great faith. Speaking negative and great faith are like oil and water. They do not mix. Faith always speaks positive, not negative. But we got to get rid of this, all right? And then what do we do? As newborn babes, he says in verse 2, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. God wants us to desire the word, and he wants us to grow with the word. He expects us to desire, and he expects us to grow. I expect a a newborn baby to cry when they're hungry. Why? They have a desire. They want some milk. And the only thing they know to do is, "Ah!" right? They let you know. They have no problem because they have a desire. How many Christians have a desire for the word? Do we read it every day? Do we study it? Do we, are we always looking to it? That's our desire. We got to desire the word. Well, I'm just not a good reader. Then pray. God will heal your reading. You can't use that as an excuse not to get into the word. God gave us a book and he didn't write it in vain. We got to practice it. Verse 3, if, if so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. How many has tasted the Lord? Woo, he's good. He's good to the last drop. God is good. All right? What, what is an expectation? If God expects some things of us, what is an expectation? It's a hope. It's an eager anticipation. It's a belief. It's an expected standard or standard of conduct or performance expected by somebody, all right? It means to look forward. It means uh, to consider reasonable or due or necessary, all right? And we become a Christian simply by having faith in God, and God wants us to live by the same faith that we accepted him with. Did you know that the same faith that you accepted Jesus as Savior is the same faith you use to get healed, is the same faith you use to prosper, is the same faith that you use to increase? It's the same faith. We start by faith and we've got to continue by faith. There's no such thing as an autopilot Christian. I'm just putting it on autopilot. You know, maybe you drive a Tesla. I know Teslas have this auto drive, you know, and I've seen pictures of people saying, I don't want an auto drive car. I want to know what's happening when I'm driving, amen? I want to, so that's not going to work for me. Hallelujah. All right? So you become a Christian by responding to God in faith, and that's the same way that God wants you to live. Hallelujah. 
This is a, an unknown quote, but it says, God expects greatness, not that your skills, abilities, or strength are great, but that your faith, willingness, and obedience is great. Did God ever consider your skill when he called you? No. What does he consider? He considers your faithfulness. He doesn't consider your skill. He'll use your skill, but he considers your faithfulness when he wants to do something with you. Am I right? Um, Here's another quote. If you really know that you're a child of God, you also know that God expects much of you. He will expect you to follow his teachings and those of his son, Jesus. Uh, Chip Ingram said this. He said, God gives us the ingredient for our daily bread, but he wants us to do the baking. Amen. God will give you the ingredients. He gives you a measure of faith. The Bible says in Romans, all people have a measure of faith. What have, what have they done with that measure? You know, you can take a measure of flour and make something with it. You get a measure of faith, you can... See, the thing about faith is it grows. It doesn't stay small. Our faith grows exceedingly. We got growing faith, amen? Here's... uh, This is from uh, he said, she said, 2K10.com. I thank God for the internet. He said, believe it, conceive it, take steps to achieve it, then leave the rest to God and prepare to receive it. Believe it, conceive it, take steps to achieve it, then leave the rest to God and prepare to receive it. I thought that was pretty good. Number two, God expects you to witness for him. Go to Acts chapter 1. Every one of us has a story. Where you came from, what you used to do, who you used to be, and how you met Jesus. Am I right about that? I was a Catholic boy who always went to church, but I thought church was boring until I met Jesus. And then I've been in church ever since. <laughs> I've made <laughs> church is my lifestyle. I, I can't imagine not doing church. You know, Brother Hagen used to uh, equate things like uh, not going to church is like someone taking a shower with their socks on. So something's just not quite right. <laughs> Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you might be, if you feel like it. You shall be witnesses unto who? Me, talking about Jesus, both in Palmyra and in Lebanon and in Harrisburg and in Pennsylvania and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Why did God give us power so that we could just say, I have power? No, so that we could be a witness. You need power to help people. Just like Jesus had power to help people. He said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. What is a witness? It's someone who testifies to what they've seen, what they heard, and what they know. 
The court system uses witnesses all the time. They have key witnesses. They have eyewitnesses. They have expert witnesses to prove their case. And they call them to the stand and they tell what they heard, what they know, or what they have seen. Say, I'm a witness. See, you have something to tell. You have a story to tell. Right? Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. God expects us to be witnesses. Why? He has imp- when you accepted Jesus Christ, you have been you have been made an employee in the family business of building the kingdom of God. You are in the fa- whether you, maybe this is a revelation to you. Oh, I'm in the family business. Yeah, the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as savior, you became a member of his household, you became part of the family of God, you became a citizen in heaven, and now you're employed in his business. And we have to be about, listen, the angels aren't going to tell someone the gospel. Why? How many angels appeared to people, they didn't share the gospel, but they told them to get where the gospel. An angel appeared to Cornelius, right? He didn't know that he needed the Holy Spirit, so he connected him with Peter. Why didn't the angels just get him filled? Because that's not the angel's job right now. It's our job. Say, it's my job. To be a witness. Yeah. You, ha- you can testify. What do I testify? Tell someone what Jesus did for you. Tell someone how Jesus helped you. Maybe you see someone in a similar situation that you were in at some point in your life. You can help them. Amen? But God expects us to be witnesses. John chapter 1 and verse 6. There was a man. Everybody say a man. Amen. Sent from God whose name was John. He was born to parents who were past the age of having children. And an angel appeared to them and said, you're going to have a child, you're going to have a son, and name him John. How did the angel know that his name, what his name was supposed to be when he wasn't even born? Because God has foreknowledge. God knows all things. He had a plan for John. This was John's plan. Seven, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. John was sent by God to be a witness. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is a witness? Because he only testifies of Jesus, John 14. Everything that he hears the Father, he tells to us. He bears witness of Jesus. He bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit is a witness. If you're a witness, you're in a good group of people. Jesus was a witness. He came to testify about the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Everything he did, everything he said, it represented the Father. Hallelujah. God expects us to be witnesses. We have to get the story out. Go to Luke 26. Luke 26. Oh, it can't be 26. The rich man and Lazarus. Let me find it real quick. Luke 
Hallelujah. How about 16? <laughs> that's, that's better. Luke 16. This was a story of Lazarus and the rich man, not the Lazarus who died, but Lazarus was a beggar. And he sat at the gate of this rich man. The Bible said he fared sumptuously. That means he ate very well every day. He wore the good clothes. He lived in a nice house. But there was this beggar that he paid no attention to. Okay? And uh, they both died, right? Look at verse 24. Luke 16, verse 24. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. So the rich man went to hell. He's being tormented. It's where the worm doesn't die and where the flame doesn't go out. Okay? So he's experiencing the burning without burning. Can you imagine that? Listen, you don't want anybody to go to hell, not even your worst enemy. Okay, verse 25, but Abraham said, son, remember that you in your lifetime received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Verse 26, and beside all this, uh, between us, there is a great gulf fixed so that they uh, which would pass from here, you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from there. And he said, verse 27, I pray thee, therefore, that you would send him to my father's house. All of a sudden, now that the man's in hell, he's interested about winning his family. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they would repent. Well, Jesus came and died, and he rose again, but they didn't repent. And he said unto him, if they hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. If you're not going to listen to the word, you're not going to listen to the testimony of someone who rose from the dead. But all of a sudden now, this rich man had a different take on winning his family. You know what? We're living in a day and an hour that sometimes... We can't be polite. Go to Jude for a minute. Go to Jude. There's only one chapter in Jude. Right before Revelation. Jude. Hallelujah. Look at verse uh, 22, Jude 22. He says, he's telling us, he told us in verse 21 to keep ourselves in the love of God. And then he said, and of some have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by flesh. Sometimes, yes, we can use compassion to bring them in, but other times we got to yank them out of the fire. Can you, can you see a fireman walking into a burning building saying, would you mind coming with me? 
What's he going to say? Come on, we got to get out. The place is on fire. It's about to collapse, right? There's not a moment for compassion. It's a moment for strict action. Listen, sometimes when it comes to witnessing, we can't always be polite. Yes, we, we should show the love of God, but there are times when it's urgent. There are times when, listen, during COVID, one of my friend's fathers was in the hospital. No one could go into the hospital room, and he had never accepted Jesus. So what did he do? The person called me. This is his son. He called me, and I led the father to the Lord over the phone because he was the only one that could go into the hospital room. And guess what? He died a few days later. But in his last moment, he accepted Jesus Christ. You know, the thief on the cross, he was nailed to a cross. You can't go to church. Can you come to church? No, I'm kind of nailed on a cross. He couldn't even bend his knees to pray. He couldn't even put his hands together to pray. He couldn't put his hands together to worship. But he believed in Jesus. He refused to criticize Jesus. And Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. Listen, if someone gets saved in their last moment, that's great. But it's a whole lot better to get saved before you get to your last moment. How's that going to happen? You and I. We have, we have to be witnesses. God expects us to witness. How do we witness? You live and you tell. Two ways. If you're not living it, certainly don't tell it. Because if you're not living it, it destroys your testimony. Here, I'm living like the devil. Let me tell you how you can be like Jesus. Come on. No way. So you, you, you testify by how you live and what you say. And God expects us to be witnesses. If he didn't want us to be witnesses, why did he give us power to witness? Say, I have power to witness. Since you just said that you've had power to witness, you're without excuses now. And besides, the Holy Spirit will help you. I don't know what to say. Well, the Holy Spirit knows what to say. Just listen to him. He'll help you. Amen? First thing that Andrew did... When he met Jesus was go get his brother Peter. He said, I think we found the Messiah. That was the first thing that Andrew did. He went and told his brother about the Messiah. That's recorded in John 1. All right. Number two, the second thing that God expects to us. I I got 14, so I better go next Sunday. I don't know. (laughs) He expects you to listen to him. God gave us two ears. And one mouth. That means we should do twice as much listening to our speaking. We should speak, but we should listen. Amen? Go to Psalm 81. Psalm 81. Is it okay if you have a good teaching this morning? Because we need that once in a while, right? We need the Holy Ghost and we need the teaching. We need them both. Jesus taught, preached, and healed. Hallelujah. Look at Psalm 81, verse 8. Hear, O my people, and I will testify unto you, O Israel, if you will hearken unto me. 
That word hearken means perk up your ears and get ready to listen. Amen? You heard about the the man who was in church who went to the pastor and he said, Pastor, can you pray for my hearing? And the pastor said, sure, no problem. So the pastor laid his hands on his ears and prayed. And then he, he, he whispered and he said, how's your hearing now? He said, well, pastor, I don't know. My hearing's not till next Tuesday. <laughs> Got to be sure you're praying about the right hearing. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> pastor thought it was physical ears, but no, it was his hearing in court. <laughs> Hallelujah. Listening is a part of communication. A good listener knows what he has been communicated so that he can do what was said. How do you know if you have a successful message? Because both the receiver and the hearer understand what's being said and results occur. That's how you know if, if a message has been clearly communicated. All right? Look at verse 13. Same chapter, verse 13. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked by my ways. Can you hear God's heart? God is, is pleading. He said, oh, I wish they'd, they'd listen to me and walk in my ways. You know, we got to be constantly listening. When Abraham was told to sacrifice his son Isaac, his only son, well, his son that came through the promise, uh, he also had another son by another woman, but... Uh, God said, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to sacrifice him, sacrifice him on the place that I'm going to tell you to go, right? So Abraham's listening, right? He goes to the place. He knows, okay, the Lord says, okay, this is it. He tells the servants, you stay here. Me and the son are going to worship and me and the son are coming back. That's faith. All right? So he goes, right? And, you know, Isaac says, okay, Father, I see the wood and the the fire, but where's the sacrifice? Oh, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Okay? So they're walking, right? But he's still listening. You can't stop listening. He gets to where he puts Isaac on the altar, right? He he raises the knife. Guess what? He's still listening. And And he's got the knife in the air, ready to plunge it into his son, because he knew that no matter what happened, Isaac was going to be resurrected. And what, while he's in the act of doing what he was told to do, all the angels spoke and said, Abraham, Abraham. You see, he was listening. You've got to keep listening even while you're doing what he said to do. Because God may have you pivot. He may just have you change direction. Amen? So you, you can't stop listening at go sacrifice your son. And, and stop. And you can't you can't plug up your ears and don't listen anymore. You got to listen through the whole thing. You got to listen with every step. Okay. God expects us to listen to Him. You don't have to turn there, but Proverbs seven twenty four says, "Now listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth." Everybody say, "Pay attention." Listen. All right. Go to Proverbs thirteen one. Proverbs 13.1. Hallelujah. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scorner hears not rebuke. A rebuke is a correction. If someone does something wrong 
and someone corrects them and the person who did what was wrong doesn't respond or doesn't listen, they're going to keep doing things wrong. Correction is good. It's necessary at times. Amen? And how we receive correction is important. God, you know, God told the churches in Revelation, seven churches, he said it seven times. He that has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, listen. Do you guys have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying? Do you know the Spirit's voice? It's so important to listen. Every step. Why? He may want you to just change direction because he has greater knowledge than we do. Why do football player quarterbacks have communication sets in their head, in their helmets, so that they can communicate to the coach and they can change things on the fly, right? Sometimes a quarterback will will look at the defense and they'll call what's called an audible, right? But he's able to hear what the coach is saying because he's got, they got headsets in the helmets. And the coach is listening to the person in the skybox who can see the field from a different perspective. In a football game, football players are listening. But is the body of Christ listening? God expects us to listen. What makes it hard to listen to God? I wrote some things down. When someone doesn't revere the Bible or honor the written word, it makes it hard to hear God's audible voice. If you don't respect the written word, what makes you think God's going to speak to you audibly when they're the same thing? Everybody say this. Say the the written word and the spoken word are the same thing. When God speaks and what he wrote in this book are the very same thing. Jesus is the living word. This is Jesus on a page right here. So, So if you don't have respect for the written word, it's going to make you hard to hear God's voice. Sometimes we grow impatient. Now, I know that never, that never happens here, right? We never get, see, patience is a fruit of the Spirit, but the devil will try to get you impatient, right? And when, when we get impatient, we often act out of the flesh, okay? We can't distinguish between voices, God's voice, our own voice, or the devil's voice. Is that God talking to me? God, did you say that? Or is that just the pizza I ate last night? How many know that your flesh has a voice? Does it speak when you're hungry? Feed me. Right? Does your flesh speak when you don't want to get up and you have to? I don't want to. I want to stay in bed. It's nice and warm. Your flesh has a voice. Right? But see, God, now that we're born again, we have to make our spirits the ruler of our bodies, not the bodies the ruler of our spirits. Did you hear that? Before we met Jesus, our bodies were in control. Now that we met Jesus, our spirits now have to be in control. And you have to let your spirit tell your body what to do, how to respond, how to act, how to behave. Right? Can you tell your body no? Yeah. 
don't raise your hands, but if you, if you didn't feel like getting up today, you told your body, yes, you're going to get up. Amen? Because here you are. Praise the Lord. So sometimes not being able to distinguish the voice makes it hard to hear from God. What language does God speak? He speaks the language of the word. So if you want to get really um, skillful at hearing God's voice, get skillful at reading the word and knowing the word. And this will prepare you better to hear God's voice more clearly. All right? Um, Sometimes we approach God with expectations of how we want him to speak. We want to put God in a box. God says, sorry, I don't fit in a box. They tried to put me in a box, and I I got out of there three days later. (laughs) Amen? God doesn't fit in a box. Sometimes we speak to God out of duty and don't have a heartfelt conversation. Have you ever read the book of Psalms? Those guys just laid it on the line. When David felt like he, he said, God, I'm ticked off. I'm mad. God's like, oh, my gosh, he's mad. Be re- he already knows you're mad anyway. It's not like a surprise to God. He knows it. Why don't you just be real about it and let him help you solve it? I love the Psalms, man. There's a lot of back and forth going on. They just, they just tell God how they felt about it. I don't like the wicked prospering. And, you know, they had heartfelt conversations. We don't, God, we're not robots. Let's, let's have a heartfelt conversation to God, not just duty. Okay, I said my five minutes of prayer. That's done. Really? Sometimes when we go to God, our hearts are too filled with clutter. What do I mean? We got too much pain in our heart, too much fear in our heart, too much anxiety in our heart. And this causes us to approach God with an unhealthy heart. Did you know that if you're going to approach a king, there was, there was some protocol? You have to prepare your heart. When God told Moses that he was going to come down on Mount Sinai three months after they left Egypt. Now think about this for just a second. In Egypt, they were slaves, right? They could not choose what to do. They could not choose where to live. They were told what to do, told where to live, told what to eat, told when to work, told how to work, right? So for 400 years, that was the mentality. They had developed a strong slave mentality, okay? Now, three months out of Egypt, okay, Exodus 19, God says, I'm going to come down on the mountain, Right? Mount Sinai. They're camping in the wilderness, and they come to the base of the mountain, Mount Sinai, and God says, I'm going to come on the mountain, and he gives the people three days to prepare for a meeting with God. He says, I want you to tell the people, take three days, consecrate yourself, get yourselves ready, don't don't have uh, intimate relations uh, like that. And he said, get yourself ready. Why? They were about to meet God three months after coming out of Egypt. So God, God gave Moses the commandments then. God, God instituted his covenant then. God spoke to them. And they had to, you know, God did it in such a dramatic way because they wouldn't accept it any other way coming out of Egypt. They had that slave mentality that was bogging them down. That slave mentality dictated how they lived, how they responded. Some of those people with slave mentality, they believed God one day and doubted him the next day. Isn't that right? Yeah, and God had to kill a whole generation because they they wanted to die more than they wanted to live. 
They kept talking death, death, death. God said, okay, I'll give you what you say. God gave them what they said. It wasn't God's will. That's not what God wanted, but they kept pressing it. They wouldn't let it go. They wouldn't change. I don't know why I said all that, but y'all needed to hear that, I guess. So listening. We got to be teachable. Amen? Hallelujah. All right. The final one that I'm going to talk about today, God expects us to draw near to him. Go with me to the book of James, chapter 4. James, chapter 4. In other words, God doesn't want us to be at a distance with him. He wants us to be close to him. You know, if we're a, a far distance away, it's a whole lot harder to communicate. Right? But God wants us close. Did you, did you know that the closer you get to God, the softer his voice is? When you're close, you can speak in a whisper. God doesn't have to use his booming, thunderous voice. You know, he, he can speak in a still, small voice. But we have to draw near to him. In other words, we have to move towards him. Okay? James 4. Verse 8, well, (laughs) we better look at verse 7 because it ties in. Submit yourselves to God, therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. What happens if you don't submit to God? The devil will flee to you, not from you. An unsubmitted person is someone who doesn't recognize God's authority. To submit is to come under the mission, right? Now, this word submission has been abused in the body of Christ. And uh, in February, Dr. Fiona and I, we're going to take the whole month and talk about marriage together, simultaneously. We used to do that, but now we're going to do it again. So, okay, submit to God. You can't resist the devil if you're not submitted to God. What does it mean? If you're not doing what God says, you're not submitted to God. If you're not living the way God wants you to live, you're not submitted to God. If you're doing your own thing, you're not submitted to God. God didn't call you to do your own thing. He called you to do his thing. Amen? Being a minister when I was a young boy was not my first choice of careers. I wanted to be a fireman or a pilot. You know, my grandfather helped me out. He said, hey, Doug, you come out on the farm and and I'll teach you how to be a pilot. I said, really? He said, yeah, you can pilot here and pilot there. I said, that's not the kind of pilot I want to be. (laughs) But I tell you what, that did come true because my, my grandfather and I, he needed to cement he had a dirt basement right his basement was in the garage and you had to walk down this uh wooden stairway and it was a dirt floor so he wanted to put concrete in his basement so we had to dig the basement out six inches lower than what it was i dug out the basement put it on a conveyor belt and he extended his driveway outside so i did pilot here and pilot there (laughs) 
Okay? So then submit yourselves to God. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Why do we have to draw near to him? Because he already made the first move. He already left heaven and came to earth. He already did what he needed to do. Now it's your turn. You have to draw near to God. You have to make a conscious decision that you're moving closer and closer to him. Okay? We have to draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. See, when you take a step towards him, he'll take a step towards you. You draw to him, he'll draw to you. And together, it'll be awesome and incredible. But see, here's the thing. And I see this a lot when people are suffering. They want to separate themselves from God. They don't want to draw near to God. They want to stay secluded, isolated. But you've got to break out of that. That's when you need God the most. Amen? The Bible said no man is an island to themselves. He designed the body to help one another. Right? And you were not meant to do Christianity alone or by yourself. You were meant to be part of a family of God, part of the body of Christ. That's God's design. And then he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, that goes along with a heart. You can't have too much clutter in your heart and approach God. All right? How do we approach God? We approach God by relying, appreciating, and believing on the grace of God. How many are thankful for the grace of God? It's how we got saved. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen? Grace is the offer of God's gift. Faith is the acceptance of his gift. Okay? We approach God in humility, not exalting ourselves or our works. When you approach God, you're not to say, oh, God, look at how great I am. I'm just so wonderful. No, you've got to turn it around. You're so wonderful. You're so great. Approach God with praise. Do you realize when Nehemiah prayed to rebuild the wall, the first part of his prayer, he talked about magnifying God, how big God was. He's creator of the universe. He, he put God in a position of the high point. When you come to God, make him bigger than your situation. Okay? When we approach God, we have to submit to his authority. All right? Are we doing what he said to do? We approach God by resisting the devil. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that we can resist the devil? What happens when we resist him? He flees. All you got to do is say no. And guess what? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He has to respond. When you say no, he can't go any further. When you say go, he has to leave. When you say shut up, he has to hold it. He can't say, speak another word. That's the power that we have in Jesus. But this is what God expects of us. He expects us to draw near to him. All right? We approach God with repentance, receiving forgiveness, and a pure heart. How many times will God forgive you if you repent? Every time. Every time. Confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. All right? Approach God knowing that Jesus is the only standard to rely on and no one else. Hebrews 4, 16 says we can come boldly before the throne of grace. You have been given an entrance because of what Jesus has done. His death, burial, and resurrection gave you the authorization to come into the throne room of God. Hallelujah. 
And we approach God without judging others. Do you remember that parable that Jesus told about the Pharisee and the tax collector? And the Pharisee's like, thank God I'm not like this man. And the tax collector saying, Lord, save me, I'm a sinner. See, the Pharisee was comparing himself with the, the um, tax collector thinking he wasn't so bad because that's self-righteousness. Self-righteousness compares you with others and you think, well, I'm not so bad. But guess what? You can't be self-righteous. The only righteousness that we can compare ourselves with is Jesus' righteousness. How do you line up with Jesus? I don't care how, how you line up with other people. How are you lining up with Jesus? How are you acting like him, thinking like him, speaking like him, talking like him, or walking like him? That's the only thing that matters, right? So you approach God without judging others. God said, judge yourself lest you be judged. All right? Approach God agreeing and being in harmony with the truth. Guess what? You can approach God with the word. Did you know that God is waiting to hear his word so that he can perform it? When you speak his word, he is ready to act on it because he loves his word. And we approach God by allowing his Holy Spirit to guide and direct you. Worship, praise, confession, recognition, and exaltation. That's how we approach God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Amen? This is what God expects of us. Hallelujah. Jesus was... He was um, expressing a dislike when he quoted Isaiah 26, 13. And he said, these people draw, with, draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Oh, you can go through the motions. You know, you can come in here and you could be praising the Lord and people be looking at you like, oh, aren't they awesome? They're just praising God. But yet their heart's thinking about something else. See, they're just going through the motion, right? Jesus said he was grieved by this. They worship me with their lips and honor me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. That's not a good thing. Why? Your heart and your mouth have to be in agreement. If your heart and mouth aren't in agreement, there's no power available. That's like double-mindedness. But this is what God expects of us. He expects us to draw near to him. Look at Psalm 145:18. It says, "The Lord is near to all who call upon him, all who call upon him in truth." How what happens when you call upon him is he far away? No, he's near. All right, go to Hebrews chapter 10 and then we're done. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. Hebrews 10:22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So God expects some things of us. He did not save you to join the status quo team. He joined you to strive for the mastery team. 
to be a fruit production team, to be an increase getter person. Amen? God expects some things of us. How many of you are willing to go to his expectation? Let him stretch you. Let him lead and guide and direct you. He leads us into the unknown. He leads us into darkness where we can't see the end, but we know who's, who we, who's we are. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed, and he is able to keep that which I commit to his hands. Paul was the only person, he was a prisoner on a prison ship going to Rome. And they said, let's, where they were, the environment looked good. Where they were, it looked okay to sail. Paul was saying, don't sail, don't go. But he's not the captain of the ship, okay? When you're not the captain of the ship, you have limited scope of authority, so they, they said, no, the conditions are good. We're going to go. And right, they're sailing away. But then all of a sudden, they ran into a Euroclide. And that's like three storms coming together. And they, they took all the tackle out of the ship. They hadn't eaten for days. It was dark for like a couple weeks. No light whatsoever. Rough waves, storms, lightnings. And, and people weren't hungry, but God, but he had a visitation from an angel. And he said, know this, Paul? He said, the ship's not going to make it, but because you're here, I'm paraphrasing, he said, everyone on board is going to make it safe. 235 people approximately. So Paul said, man, we better eat something. So it, he described it as take, breaking bread, maybe had communion. He said, I, I heard from the Lord tonight. He said, no one's going to lose their life, but the ship will, will, not, will not make it. And sure enough, when, when they came, finally came to land, they crashed on the rocks. And all the men, all the, whoever was on that ship, they made it to shore. No one lost their life. Right? Because Paul had a word from God. He was able to hear God in a storm when he was a prisoner. And he was able to use that word to save him and all, the, all who were around him. Amen? We're in a storm today. And God needs some people who are willing to live up to his expectations and do what he said do and be bold about it and be brave and courageous and stand up and not let the things that are happening continue to happen. We can pray. Amen? We can speak. We can do things. We can talk to people. There are things that we can do to change our situation. We are not helpless and we certainly are not unarmed. We have spiritual armor. We have spiritual weapons. We have weapons that are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Amen. We have God on our side. He can change nations. He can change the course of this thing. Amen. But we got we to gotta be about his business. We can't just treat Christianity as something we do twice a week. We got to do it every day. Because God expects some things of us. Amen. He expects us to have a higher standard of living. My goodness, he is God. He's father. He's creator. There's nothing he can't do. All things are possible to them that believe. Are you a believer? Hallelujah. Stand up if you're a believer. You are part of an elite group. And great things can be done. 
because you and God are a majority. You want to see your families change? Start interceding like you've never interceded before. Hey, Miss Pat, would you be willing to testify of what God did for you? Or Can you say amen? amen? Someone praise God. There was an impossible situation. There was no natural means of how it was going to get done or accomplished, but God made a way. Amen. Why? Because she's a believer. She trusts in God. She knows how to pray and praise God. Amen. Amen. And he'll do it for her. He'll do it for you. God's no, God's no respecter of persons, but he does respect faith. Amen. Now, who's here and you need healing in your body today? You need healing in your body. No one needs healing in their body. Okay? I want you to come up if you need healing in your body. If you can come up. And if you need to sit, that's fine. Hallelujah. We believe God's in the healing business. Amen? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good healing all. Everybody say healing all. Say he's a healer of all. There's no sickness or disease that he can't heal. Amen? Amen. Nothing too great, nothing too small that he can't handle. He, he, he expects you to be well. 